then you have those of us who are in between that we just want the best person. We don't care right. if you're red or blue. We just care that you care about this state or this city, whichever position we're you know, appointing you to. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to abortion, I feel that when it says our inalienable rights, our inalienable God-given rights means that that is your right to stand before God for whatever choice you make personally. I feel as far as race, the racism in this country is pretty much more of let's stop promoting it and keep on talking about it and start creating and raising children who open their mouth and say something and be like, no, we don't tolerate that. Are you feeling stuck, lost, tired, or uninspired? We've all been there, including myself. I'm Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. I'm here to tell you that the best, unapologetic, and limitless version of yourself is yet to come. The Born Unbreakable podcast is here to inspire just that. With motivating guests from all different walks of life and around the world, their stories will empower you to unlock abundance and your unbreakable spirit. Do you need accountability? Reach out to me for a free consultation of how I can support you in reaching your maximum potential. Hey everyone, it's Coach Des here with an announcement about my Born a Boss Babe 90-Day Transformational Program for 18 to 24-year-old women who are looking to build their confidence, their courage, and their compassion in the world. So if that's you or someone you know, reach out to me at des at bornandbreakable.com. Listen, when we think about people like Oprah Winfrey or LeBron James, what separates them from others is the coaching, the mentorship, the investment that they make in themselves to be great. What if you could supercharge your life at 20 years old so that when you're 30 and 40, you're that much further? When I was that age, college was an incredible foundation for me. But one of the things that was missing is that community that could help me grow and think more intentionally about things like relationships, finance, health, mental wellness. All of those things are important in accelerating how we show up in the world and the impact that we have. If you're ready to supercharge your life, it's time to reach out to me so we can do it together. The program launches in August. I'm so excited and I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des. I am thrilled about the guest that I have today. Ilona Kearney is on the show. She has an amazing story and she is running for governor in 2024 for the state of Washington. So I am, I majored in politics when I was in college and I have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with it because there's there's a lot of things that I think need improvement in our world and I get you know uh, as frustrating as the subject may be and I know for many people who are listening regardless of you know what side of the spectrum you're on and what you believe in um, it's it's often a divisive thing in in our country and and actually across the world it's not just unique to the United States of America so when I see a bright spot, 
like Ilona and learning about what she stands for. Um, she's not a career politician. Uh, she's, you know, she's single motherhood, two children. She's an, she's a veteran for this country, um, which I have so much admiration and respect for growing up in an army family. And I think that she is the epitome of the, of the future, you know, meaning that there are people who are good people who are contributors uh, to our society that want to do more in this political space and break the, the, the norm of just, oh, all the people who have just done politics their whole life. So I, I, this for me was a bright spot to learn about her and what, what she stands for, which we'll get into. Um, and she, she's been through things personally in her life. And I think that has demonstrated her grit, her resilience, and, um, I'm just excited to have you here. Thank you for coming on the show, Alona. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. <laughs> but well, let's before I start, just hey, let's talk about politics. You know, I think we've got to ease our way into it. But I'd love for you to start with your story, your personal story. I know that you're a veteran. I know that you're a mom. Tell me about, you know, tell me about you. Okay. Well, you know, even. Um, best way to start telling you about me is talk about my journey to the military most people when they join the military it's for they you know they want a career or they want free college and that's like the normal statement that you hear of why did you join the military and mine's was different i joined the military to actually commit suicide growing up i was suicidal um i can't tell you really much of what my triggers were, you know, at that time, I just knew when I was young, I like, I think of, of my first memory would always be when I was three years old. Um, my mom and dad were arguing. And while they were arguing, they jumped up and just like in each other's face. So I run, would run into the closet and beat myself in the head with a shoe, with my mom's high heel shoes, or take her makeup and just scribble on my face and tell myself that I hate myself, that it's my fault that they're arguing. And, you know, parents don't really realize the that their kid's perception is not what they think that their child's perception is of a situation. And when you're arguing or having spousal disagreements, even if you're a, a happy couple, it's always good to try to see where that child's thinking is or where that child mindset is of, what they perceived of the situation or what they um, perceive of themselves in the situation because children are learning. That's their foundation of where their morals and their perceptions start at. So growing up, anytime something would go wrong, I just carried this um, that I had to be perfect. And my parents didn't know this because I would always silently do these things. I would go cut myself if I got a B on my, my um, test or my schoolwork, my parents was like, oh, this is good. This is good. And But to me, a B wasn't good. I felt like I was not good enough. And um, so I ended up in, in hospital for suicide and, and depression. And my thing like prior to that was always because I grew up in a, my mom was a pastor. So I grew up in a church. So 
she didn't know her own child was suffering because I was just trying to be so perfect and trying to make her proud of me and anything. Oh, and don't say, let my mom say, I'm disappointed in you. My whole world would crumble. And it's like, I felt like I was unredeemable. I was going to hell no matter what. And then I started getting to the point where I just hated God. Like, God, why would you let me suffer like this? Then maybe you just have it out for me that I'm just destined for hell. And so I just had all of these things going on that I was suffering by myself. And then it was um, when they started finding out that I was um, suicidal and ended up in and out of the hospital for suicide and depression. It wasn't that, um, that uh, you know, support that I needed. It was more of, of you know, um, you, you're not supposed to be doing this. You know that people who com- commit suicide are going to hell. You know, it was more of a my mom being a pastor rather than a parent. And she, you know, in her mind, she didn't realize that's what she was doing. But, and then it was people coming in and giving those, um, those sermons of, if you're suicidal, suicidal people just want attention, get over it, just get over it. And so then I was like, what is wrong with me that I can't get over every day I try. And people don't understand that it's not, just as simple as getting over. There are some people that they can wake up and flip the switch and now they are healed and walking. But then there's others like myself that it's like a daily, you know, pattern of trying to change that habit, negative, toxic, habitual thinking. And um, when I, um, when I turned 18, I was like, you know, I'm just going to get out of this because every time I try attempt to, to um, commit suicide, I'm not successful. So if I go in, I'm around guns, I can just shoot myself. And but the thing is, like the first two weeks of hell week, I forgot all about trying to commit suicide. And you're not around guns the first two weeks of hell week. You're doing they're breaking down um, what they call. They break you down to build you back up. So they break down everything like your your way of thinking because when you're in the military you have to think a different way you have to think as a soldier you have to think as a unit not as an individual so they're tearing down whatever your um your upbringing all of that they call it brainwashing (laughs) they call it so they brainwash you of everything that you know which is why they take away your regular clothes, your personal things, and they give you this military uniform because we're all one, we're all a unit. So in that time period, my mindset was being broken down and brainwashed from suicidalness. You know, it didn't take away all of it at that time, but it was just, you know, taking me away from thinking that I'm not worth anything, I can't fight, I can't do this, to being a fighter at the time. And... So when, as time went along, I still had those suicidal thoughts and and whatnot, but it wasn't to the level of what I was when I first went into the military, but I got out, I was supposed to stay in there for eight years, but I was in there for two and a half years because I, when I was pregnant at the time, what the rule was, and I see they've changed the rules now is you have to sign custody. If you're a single parent, you have to sign custody of your child over to a family member. And that's called, they call it a parent plan. And I refused to fill out the parent plan because 
I didn't want to have a kid and then I now I have to be separated and be sent overseas. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was given, I was allowed to be stay, stay with my child for six months. So I took the pregnancy chapter and got out. And when I got out at first in my head, I was like, um, I had these suicidal thoughts of myself of, I still want to die. Now mm-hmm. I have nothing because the military was a job. The military was, now I'm out of the military. I don't have a job. I don't have a way to take care of my kids. And what am I going to do? So I was suicidal and I said, well, I don't want to kill my kids, but I want to die. But I don't want them to live here and ever go through the things that I went through. And I don't want anybody else to raise them because nobody else is going to take care of them to spare them from experiencing what I had. And Mm -hmm. so it's like now I have to just live and live, live for them. And also like when I was growing up, because, you know, back then it was. You know, we was raised up with spankings and things. So those spankings never, you know, they they never taught me discipline. It just only validated my um, my my perception that I was not good enough. So mm-hmm. I did not want that for my kids. And so I started doing this thing like with my kids, I would pray to God. And when I prayed to, to God, I would tell them, you know, I pray that, you know, you're spared from he- he- hell, you, you're going to go to heaven. And then at the end, I would say, God, if if my um, if my kids are destined for hell, that I be the one to go to hell for them, that I take on all their sins kind of thing. And then one day my kids were like, but mom, we don't want you to go to hell. Why can't God just let us all go to heaven and things? And so it, it's like my eventually doing that on a consistent basis, even though I was doing it for them at the time, I started mm-hmm. realizing that I didn't have any more suicidal thoughts. I was it, whatever it came to something that would make me feel suicidal. It was like, I'm not suicidal right now. I feel like fighting, taking up mm-hmm. for this, you know, standing up for myself, speaking up for myself. And then I, um, then I came across the, um, to something I was listening to, well, a person that was talking to me, and he actually was um, a Muslim friend of mine. And mm-hmm. he was saying, you know, forgiveness is really not the forgive and forget, it's like learning to set boundaries. And so I was like, oh, you're right. So then I started teaching my kids. I said, you know, when you forgive someone, it's kind of like this, I buy this house with this paint on the wall. I don't like that paint, it's an ugly color. Now, I have to accept that pain is there because I can't do anything about it. But if I don't approve of the pain, I change it. If I if I approve of it, then I just let it go on and on. So then I started applying that to my life. When people were, you know, I started losing friends and it and at first I was scared to lose friends. I didn't want to be alone. But mm-hmm. I realized that if they respect me and they are true friends to me, they mm-hmm. will respect my boundaries. I don't like this. Like I would have friends that they think because I was a, I was homeschooling my kids. Oh, hey, can you run go do this errand for me? I don't have time. Can you do this? Can you pick up my kids? And I and I was like, I'm doing everybody else's responsibility, and they have no respect that I have kids of my own, and I have responsibilities mm-hmm. of my own that they think that it's okay to do that. And so then it was like, no, I can't do this. No, I won't. I do, my homeschooling time is dedicated to teaching my kids 
your kids are in school getting their education. Mine has a right to get theirs and it's from me, you know? And when I started setting boundaries of not letting people take advantage of my time and then my other thing, my other pet peeve was the um, being late. And I'm always on time. Me, I try to be earlier, but it's when people be late and then they'll be a whole hour late and then it'll be, oh, can I cancel? And then, and I'm like, I could have done something within that whole hour. Then I said, okay, you know mm -hmm. what? That's me allowing them to do that to me. I'm approving that. So then I just mm -hmm. started setting boundaries. Okay, well, you know, it's 10 minutes after I'm going to go ahead and leave. We can reschedule another time. And some people I just don't reschedule with because it's, you know, I know that that's their pattern of doing that. And, and I'm like, no, I deserve for my time to res be respected. Even if I didn't have anything planned after you, that's still my right and my time. So once I started learning to set those boundaries with people and family, then I noticed that people at first stopped being my friends. That's fine. And then there's other people who stopped for a little bit, but then they started coming around. But everybody respects that they know that's me. They'll be like, oh, that's just Ilona. You know, so yeah, so that's how uh, that's pretty much me. So then I just start being with people. I see, I feel like I see people for who they are, and there are people mm -hmm. that if they constantly disrespect those boundaries, even if you said no and you've given them consequences, I I I take it as okay, that person just pure evil. But then, <laughs> you know, but there are people who they either respect those boundaries or they go their separate ways because I understand, too. Sometimes we're just not meant to be. We have different personalities and our personalities just don't mesh. But I do know how to be cordial and in the same room and greet whenever I, you know, come, you know, in, in the same present. I'm not going to be like, oh, nasty or anything. But right. So I learned to see those different things in um people so yeah yeah <laughs> that's how i started becoming forgiveness coach <laughs> yeah no i mean it's it's fascinating because there's so much of the human experience that we struggle with and the fact that you're able to be so vulnerable to talk about that is important because it's it's allowing that platform to say not not everything is perfect yes you know and for you to have struggled for all of those years with suicide and be able to have a turning point um it's funny I, as you were talking i was thinking of a friend his name's sylvester and he was in the in the military too and he wrote a book called winning the battle within yeah. and i think that's that's such a uh I was thinking of that because you were going through that experience. You were you were winning the battle that you had within yourself. And then you thought about what does that mean for these lives that I'm now responsible for raising, yeah. you know, with your with your children. And so sometimes it takes a lot of work. And, and a lot of grit to to get into a different headspace yeah. and and get influences that start to shift. And you took your power back because for what you described 
feeling almost powerless to the point where you didn't want your life to being able to turn around and go, I do matter. I am enough. And I'm going to set boundaries. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to set boundaries and I'm not going to let people, um, have that, that kind of control. Yeah. I think that's, that's amazing. And so you, 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 you know, so you spent time in the military and, you know, so, so, so fast forward a little bit, what was the inspiration or at what point did you decide running for office? That is something that I want to do. What was that epiphany for you? For me, it was, you know, I, I'll back up a little bit. Well, well, yeah. So when I was homeschooling my kids, I, mm -hmm. I started doing, I, I um, created a program in Florida called Citrus County Community Alliance. And what this program was, I called it, I'm making I'm possible or impossible. I'm possible. So wow. it was basically to not complain about um, injustice, you know, social injustice, but to find ways to, to create justice, be a solver of a problem and not the complainer. Because we mm -hmm. all look for somebody else to solve the problem, but guess what? Nobody ever wants to step up the plate to be the one mm -hmm. to solve the problem because with that comes also the burden of people complaining about you not doing it good enough or you not doing it right. And when all it is is I'm one of you who are trying to solve the problem and you just guys are just complaining about somebody needs to step up and do it. And right. so um, it was really for the youth, but it ended up being youth and parents because parents enjoy doing, you know, participating as well. And what we um, what I did was there was this um, state representative at the time. His name was Jimmy T. Smith. He let my kids and some of the other kids come in and intern for him. And he would come out to the program and he would teach us how to write legislative bills. And he would tell us, you know, if you want a legislative bill to be passed, the best way to convince them is to go find another bill, whether it's in this state, or another state, but preferably this state that works, that you see is making progress. And then you take the language from that bill, but you apply it to what it is that you are wanting to do. And then you say, hey, it work, it's working for this bill. So I was thinking if you do this, but apply it to this, this and this, the, you know, and, and then he also taught us about, you know, how to present it before legislation, how the whole process goes. And then he would give them, you know, tasks of coming up with something that they want to change in. And mm -hmm. I think uh, the girls came up with, they think that that maxi pads and, you know, feminine hygiene should be included in medical insurance. <laughs> so, so that's great. <laughs> that would save a lot of money. Right. <laughs> so he would sit there and he would like not so much as debate them on it like go back he would just tell him about the different groups that would come up and just disagree with them and this group would say well it's not fair because then men feel like this this and this so how are you going to make this feel like an equal right so he was pretty much giving them the experience of what it takes to be in leadership like state representative um the president and things that they don't have an easy task because they're not just thinking about it's 
you know, they want you to have what it is that you have, but they also have to make sure that whatever they give you is con considered equal rights to everyone and that it's not um, infringing on somebody else or it's not taking away from somebody else's, you know, right to have something else. So mm -hmm. that was my first experience with that was doing that with my kids. And as a homeschool, um, I did that as American government for them. And yeah. then um, when I moved here to Washington State, I started uh, after I, my kids graduated from homeschool. I was like, OK, so what do I want to do? I don't have nothing to do with my life. So I was like, oh, I'll go back to school with my kids. So I went to college while I, with my kids. And while I was in college, I took up extracurricular things like student government, student um, council, writing policies with the college president, and even going to uh, Olympia, which is our capital, and lobbying there before Congress requesting for funding for our school. And then when I um, went on to, to get my bachelor's at another college, which is Ever the Evergreen State College, there I won an internship to intern with Congress uh, for um, student veterans. And I created mm -hmm. a policy. I presented it. And right now I have two legis uh, what is it? Two congressmen, congresswoman and congressman who are working on it to turn it into a bill. And so I started, you know, I everybody was having all these complaints. Our governor is making these emergency orders. Nobody in this state likes the governor. And of course, I know there are going to be other people, other career politicians who run for governor because they know at this time nobody likes the governor but every election we all complain there's nobody we feel like we trust we feel like we're stuck with who they give us like the different the two parties give us to run so then i was like well at first i was like no <laughs> i should i run or shouldn't i run so then i started asking about it and um, and like I'm the type of person I go to, I'll go to different things just to see if the, if they are what the news say. Like if it's if they're saying this Black Lives Matter protest down here is horrible, or these Proud Boys over here are horrible. I actually get out and I go, and I go and I talk to both sides, and I find mm -hmm. that both of them actually have the same concern, but they have different ways of going about it, and then yeah. they're attacking each other unnecessarily rather than talking to each other. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how do we mend this? Because the news is gonna play this for this side and this for this side. And really mm -hmm. when I speak to them and when I go to the actual protest that they have, it's mm -hmm. not what the media is actually showing <laughs> is going on. And so I said, well, well, I asked a couple of um, politicians, I said, how do I run for governor and their whole thing was like, oh, get out here and help me door knock and do this and start at the bottom. So I went and I ran for city council last year, mm -hmm. ETAC city council. And when I ran, I actually had a torn meniscus in my knee so I couldn't walk in doorbell. So I just created a website and then I created meet and greets for people to come out and meet me. And the, mm -hmm. the career politicians decided that every time I created a meet and greet, they were going to create a last minute meet and greet and tell people not to come to mine. It was more important to come to theirs. So oh, wow. at first I was like in my head, you know, I'm probably only going to have 14 votes. So I didn't watch the um, 
the the news as it was you know doing the counting and i was getting some last minute emails of people saying i'm reading your page um i have this question so as people would ask me questions i will update my page with answers so that mm-hmm. we um and then somebody called me and they said do you know that you just came in third place you got a lot of votes i said i was only expecting four, no, 14 people i knew <laughs> you were like, I got my my friends, a couple of family members. <laughs> and it was so funny. So I turned it on and I looked and I said, oh, I was like barely behind the incumbents. And wow. so when I saw that I could do that, and that was with just $20 in my campaign and a website that I created I was like, man, if people really knew who I was, imagine how many more votes I could have gotten. So Mm -hmm. that was the primary. So the general, mind you, I always go meet everybody. So even when I was running, I went and I met all the candidates that I I was running against. Mm -hmm. And so the one of the one of the people that I was running against, I told, you know, I went out to his his um, holding signs on the corner and I said, you know, if I'm going to give my vote to someone else, I'd rather give it to you because I feel that you're genuine and you're looking at what the community needs and not as to if you're better than me or not, because that's not why I'm out here. I'm not out here to say, um, you know, like I know people are going to say, why are you better than the uh, the next, comp, you know, the other person? But mm-hmm. sometimes you might still have better ideas that, you you know, that might be better suit for this. So I would like to know if I lose who I'm going to vote for. And I said, you would be someone that I would vote for. But I'm still running. <laughs> you know, got to think. Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I lost, I went out and I held his signs, um, the, you know, the, the my opponents that I believed in signs. And so the people that... The incumbents thought that they were going to win because they've always been a shoe win. But when they saw me holding the sign, everyone who voted for me decided to vote for them because it was like if she felt like it was good enough to vote for them. And then I also ended up getting emails saying, had I known that you was this type of person, I my vote would have went to you. You know, I'm sorry because the incumbents said this about you. Like they were mudslinging me. But yeah. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't going back and forth with the mudslinger. I was just staying in my own lane. <laughs> and, yeah. and so when I, I turned around again, I said, how do I run for governor? And everybody said, just start from the bottom and work your way up. And so then I told them, I said, for some reason, you guys think that I'm asking your permission to have a seat at the table. I'm not asking anybody's permission to have a seat at the table. I've already looked it up to run for governor. All I need, my credentials that I need are to be 18 and older. What is this? Uh, be a registered voter and mm-hmm. reside where I want to run. So I went ahead and signed up to run for governor. So is anybody going to help me run? So when I was doing that, I had like friends, like I have friends from both parties, Republican and Democrat. And everybody mm-hmm. was sitting at the table. It's like, well, what party do you run as? Because I'm more of a, I would say I'm more of a purple voter which is yeah. whoever I see, it, you know, I go out and I meet people and things. So I don't really acclaim either side yep. much and things. In times past, there have been times I, I would claim more Republican. But in this state, it's like Republicans are kind of disappointing as far as they feel like, 
well, both sides have this tendency of you, what you call the far right and far left, left where yeah. we want it all red. We want it all blue. And then you have those of us who are in between that. We just want the best person. We don't care right. if you're red or blue. We just care that you care about this state or this city, whichever position we're you know, appointing you to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so everyone who was sitting there helping me said, you know, we just rather vote Democrat because like that's even the Republicans, because the Republicans like they were they were fed up with even like some of the dismissiveness that was mm-hmm. going on here here. And, and when I say Republicans, I'm talking about the party itself, yeah. not the people, because people mm-hmm. tend to to judge the people who are Republicans as the party Republican. And right. the leadership is what's making the people look bad that are just regular people who have regular concerns, just like their fellow, you know, Democrat, independent, green voters, all of these, you know, we all have yep. the same and we're getting lost in the mix because of these far views that are not representing caring about just the people, period. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I appreciate you saying this because before we started this interview, I talked about the divisiveness that is portrayed so much in this country about choosing a side and feeling like it's very, it's, it's this or that it's black or white. And what you're highlighting, which I think is really critical for people to recognize is that this gradient, there's a gray space there is this gray space. It's not, it's not all, you know, extreme to the right or extreme to the left. But if, if the media doesn't play to that, then it's not as provocative. It's not as dramatic. Right. And people want the dramatics because guess what? Then you're not focused. You're only paying attention to that. And you're not looking at other things like the, the economy and, you know, the, in, the things that we could be doing to contribute for good because yeah. we're so focused on the drama. Um, and I, I like the fact that you talk about the process of you don't just go this party or that party. You, you sit there and you have conversations and engage to make an informed decision about what what would be best and that and i you know i've been talking to more people and it's it's this notion of doing things consciously yes not just not just on autopilot not just because other other people say this is what you should do but it's thoughtfully yes. with engagement with with insights yes. and and that's such an important this is the part of politics <laughs> yes people do not see, yeah. right? Because most of what we see, the majority of what we see is that person who's been in office for 20, 30, you know, a, a long time. This is just their whole life. And it's every, it's everyday people who have gone through real challenges of what you've just, you know, yes. spent a good amount of time talking through that is out there really wanting to do good and you've done it in a very grassroots way. It wasn't from your couch, (laughs) watching TV, just reading about something. It was going out, talking to people, having engagement, forming opinions and being active. And I think that's, that's the democratic process. That's civic responsibility. That's being somebody who, 
what they say aligns with what they do. And I think that's what gives politics such a bad name is because there's so much of this talk and there's not the action. Yeah. And so, you know, I, it's very refreshing, you know, to hear you talk about this, but I do, you know, I, I, I do, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't kind of talk about current events. Right. So, you know, when I, when I looked at the state of Washington website, one of the news pieces says West Coast states launch new multi-state commitment to reproductive freedom, standing united on protecting abortion access in the face of the U.S. Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. So this is California, Oregon, and Washington will continue to be a safe haven for all people seeking abortions and other reproductive health services in these states. What is your feeling about that? Well, I know because I, I see people posting things about they're coming after you not being able to have an IUD or plan B and things. And I don't think that people realize the federal and the state are two different things. So federal, mm -hmm. that is just pretty much a, what is it? Just like a base guideline of how, of the expectation but the states still have a right to make their own their own um their own laws when it comes to abortion. So like mm -hmm. if I was in a place like Florida, we already know Florida is going to, you know, do away with it because the majority of their voters are anti-abortion. But mm -hmm. if you're in a state like Washington here, Washington is not an anti um is not an anti-abortion state. Washington mm -hmm. the majority of your vote voters want their rights to um, to have ab abortion. As far as, you know, like abortion when it comes to me, like for myself personally, I don't do abortion, but that's my choice and my right mm -hmm. personally. When it comes to, um, and as far as, what do you say, my belief in whether it's religion or anything, people have to also understand that the law is not a religious law because when the when they came, who do you say, the pilgrims and those and all of them came here, they came here for religious freedom, which means that they don't have a right to say that if you're Muslim, if you're Satan worship, whatever it is, they, you know, whatever your religious belief is, they can't infringe on that is what they came. So to make a law that is a religious, uh, let's say a moral justice as opposed mm. to a constitutional justice would not be my place because I'm not coming in to say I'm running for governor because I'm going to push Christianity or whatever religion. And, and I personally don't even aspire to, you know, a religion myself, but I'm not coming to push anybody's religious mm -hmm. justice on anyone. So when it comes to abortion, I feel that when it says, our inalienable rights, our inalienable God-given rights means that that is your right to stand before God for whatever choice you make personally. So I'm not in accountable for if you believe in God or not believe in God, but I'm not accountable for who you stand for on that day for the choices that you made on this in this lifetime. So it's your right, your inalienable right to make those choices equally, just like it is for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And, um, to what is it life freedom liberty and the pursuit of happiness so it is that right. person's right it is that woman's right i don't have a right to stand in between that so when i'm governor i'm not coming in between a person's constitutional right 
with a moral justice. I, I'm going to let that moral justice be what it is as far as the as far as when it comes to, you know, like because some people say, oh, first trimester, second trimester type things. I feel that's where our um, our our system of Senate and the House of Representatives, where they come in and they define what is what. But I do believe that once a baby is here in this life, has made it out of the womb, that this mm -hmm. baby now has an inalienable right because that's just like a let's say an an illegal immigrant makes um, what do they say once they set foot on American soil, they mm -hmm. automatically become a citizen. This baby has made it on American soil. It's become a citizen. But prior to that, I feel that's where the state of Washington's, you know, our our legal system sets the mm -hmm. rules of then what how how far does that go? But as far as the Roe versus Wade, as far as Supreme Court, I felt that was more made on a moral moral justice as opposed to our constitutional justice. yeah yeah i mean and these are these are the things that people are grappling with you know i mean this is this is current events this is current news heightened emotions um but i i like you said there's complaining which is really easy to do yeah. we can just call up anybody we want and and complain but then there's action then yeah. there's action. And that's when you understand the law, understand what, what, what it means in the federal government, what does it mean at, at the state level, and what action can you take that is, is going to help and not hinder. Um, but, that, but I appreciate you kind of walking through that. What about racism in America? You know, it's 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 been a very interesting last couple of years. There's been there there hasn't been a month lately where there's a shooting. We've seen it in Texas. We've seen it in other states. Uh, it it seems to be something that is pervasive and. Um, and 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 not just in one part of the country you know we've right. seen this pop up in many places and there are documentaries and data and statistics that show us every day that racism is alive and well in this country despite civil rights despite the good fight that's happened what are your comments about racism in, in our country? Um, well, when it comes to racism, I, like you said, I know that it's there. And it to, for me, it's kind of like, you know, when you're parenting your kid and you have the bad kid that's always getting in, and I hate using the word bad because nobody's really bad or good, but the kid that's always getting in. A naughty one. <laughs> that one that's always getting in trouble. And then you have this good kid over here. And it was like that for me growing up too. And my sister would always get in trouble, get suspended. So she's always getting, whether it's spanked, yelled at. My mom has to go here, go there, come to the principal's office, come to the store because she may have taken some from the store, you know, different things. Mm -hmm. And as the good child, I felt like there's no reward in being good. You know, like I'm being good for what? 
And so if we're constantly focusing on the the bad child constantly, and I'm not saying you don't ever focus on the bad child or address it and things, but finding different ways to address it rather than making them feel like they're always getting a praise and always, and the good child is never getting um, attention. Because what I've, what I've seen when everything was going on, all the protests and stuff, that there were white people that were, that they didn't turn hateful towards black people, but they were out there protesting with Black Lives Matter. And then all they said was like, you know, one lady, she said, I, I told her, I said, I relate to how you feel because I went to such and such and, and I was kicked out. So I can understand. So that, that person was not saying anything to really try to downplay what the black person was going through. It was just to say that I'm out here because I agree and I know how that feels. And you might be feeling it on 10 times level than what I experienced because you experienced it all the time. But instead of the response being, you know, thank you for being out here. It was everybody jumped and attacked that one white person. So now you just make this person who was an ally not know where they stand. They know that there's racism. Now they're pushed to the other side of, well, all lives matter now because you just, you know, felt like it was okay to jump me. And so it's the, you know, like I do this, then you do that. I'm gonna hit you. I'm gonna hit you back as opposed to there are people in in these other sides that do understand and do relate, but they're there because now they've been hurt and mistreated by other people's anger and hurt. And I feel what I feel is media and politics, especially, and and I, I'm especially pissed off at politicians for it, which is they take an open wound which is they know that that there is a history that still hurts the black community and they play on it and they're not doing it because they're exposing racism. They're doing it for political votes. They're not doing it because they care to heal because if they care to heal, stop, stop coming and dropping bombs in our community for a vote to get us to fight each other as opposed to, okay, like one instance is um, if, the black if a black person voted for trump their uh uncle tom if a white per uh, a black person voted for biden their uncle tom and then both sides played that and got why we already have enough in the black community to be angry with light dark um you you're skinny fat we we fight amongst each other about these things and now you want to fight us to fight each other about who voted for who when there we go again our inalienable right to vote for whoever we thought was best and now we have a new person and let's keep moving it on but we don't get that we get the um and to me the politicians are promoting racism and they are the biggest racist because they they jab at our open wounds Whereas mm. let's find ways to help the community heal. Nobody has presented, how can we help the community heal? And, uh, and like I say, I'm not saying forget that racists are there because they're gonna be there no matter what. To the end of time, you're still gonna have somebody that's racist. You can ne never have a perfect utopia. But what you can do is realize that we have come from slavery then we moved on to uh, um, desegregation, which my mom was a child. So let's not say that's so long ago because I, mm -hmm. my mom experienced that. But now we are here to a, t a place in time where we're not segregated. 
We're not slaves. Yes, we're still being mistreated. However, what we should recognize is what has gotten us here is people opening their mouths and saying something, people doing something about it and not having mm -hmm. a silent, you know, just saying, okay, well, this happening to her. It's not happening to me. Let me keep on going. Oh yeah, in the boardroom, I heard they're not gonna hire her because she's black and things and I got a job, you know? So open your mouth and say something, report it. So have, coming up with these things in which I, I see that they are starting to do is having these programs where they go in and um, with inclusivity programs and um, Microsoft, I know they have one where they have training of being mm -hmm. inclusive. And it's, um, I, example, my daughter, she was, when she was 16 and we first moved here to Washington state, she was in the um, gas station. She had her license. She got to go drive around by herself. She was in the gas station. A black guy was paying and he left out the do door. Soon as she, he left, there was two white women in front of her and the cashier, cashier he was white. The, the lady in front of her, an elderly lady turned around. She said, I wish you in words would go back to your country, you know, and just going in and you bring in crime, blah, blah. So my daughter in her thinking is this is my elder. I'm not going to disrespect her. So her mouth was open. She was hurt and she walked out the store. And when I wrote about it on the community page, I said, look, I don't like what she said, but my problem was not her. My issue was the other white people standing in there. My issue is that you should have said something. Hey, we're not having that here. Maybe you should go buy your gas someplace else. They should have said something because she only felt comfortable to do it because she was amongst her people who looked like her. And since, and for me, silence is approval. So when you don't say anything, you stood there and approve and everybody said, oh no, we don't approve of it. I said, the next time you see something, I said, because if it was in a black community and a white child was being treated that way, I would have opened my mouth and say, hold, hold on. You better go find her parents. You better go find, you know, I would never let that happen to someone that's around me. That's being the underdog of being mistreated. I open my mouth and say something. And mm -hmm. so that's pretty much where we are at this time is, pretty much teaching people to open your mouth and say something. If you're not with it, it's no longer this silent, you know, silent approval or it didn't come up to me later and say, oh yeah, I thought that was wrong. If you thought it was wrong, you should have opened your mouth and said something. So Amen. that's where yeah. I feel as far as race, the racism in this country is pretty much more of let's stop promoting it and keep on talking about it and start creating and raising children who open their mouth and say something and be like, no, we don't tolerate that because that's the only way we move forward. That's the only way we've moved forward in the past because just because they created, what is it? Uh, they abolished um, slavery. Guess what? They were still doing slavery. You know why? Because nobody was opening their mouth and saying something until people started enforcing and opening their mouth and saying this um, what is it? desegregation. There was still there was still segregation for a little bit, but it didn't change until somebody started opening their mouth and saying something, you know, see something, say something. And so That's now right. where we are is just really focusing on see something, say something. And our politicians aren't doing see something, say something. They're saying, oh, your fellow black person is racist if they don't vote for this person. Your fellow black person is racist if they don't if they don't believe in fried chicken and you believe in baked chicken, you know, that's what they're doing to right. us. 
right now. Yep. And that's what I'm sick and tired of. And that's also one of the reasons why I'm running is stop poking wounds at our community, stop dropping bombs in our community and start to help us heal. Yes, yes, that is so vital. Healing instead of hating. I mean, that's, it seems like a simple concept, yet like you said, it is, it's promoted on in the media and in the news in a way that that is unhealthy. Elona, if there was, you know, one other topic in, in the world right now that you are, are impassioned by, that you want people to know about, what, what would that be? Well, it's pretty much what I always talking about is forgiveness. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I think that people always think that when they forgive someone, that it, <clears throat> it takes away, I guess you say, that pain or that residue or even that past. And like, I, like we were talking about um, the racism and the history mm-hmm. of this country, we have to accept that. We can't change that. But what we don't have to do is we don't have to approve of it. We don't have to approve of how someone treats us. And when we learn to how to set boundaries with people and set boundaries, even even in our politics, when we set those boundaries, we start to be able to move on. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens with us realizing that there is a problem and granted people, we want, um, I used to always hate hearing, Forgiveness is not for them, it's for yourself. And I'm like, no, I want them to change. We can't change a person who is racist. And the ones that you can, you're not going to be able to change them by being hateful or by attacking them or talking at them. Nobody likes to be attacked. Nobody likes to be talked at. You could be wrong and somebody tells you that you're wrong, but it's in the way that you tell them, in the way that you come at them. And sometimes um, you can change a person by action, by showing that I'm not as nasty as you. They're good people. They're they're good black people out here that are respectful, that you can do business with, that you can like, that you can get along with. And a lot of people I've met even um, on that community page when I commented about my daughter and things, it was a guy, he inboxed me. He said, I used to be a, um, the, a leader of a KKK. He said, I'm not anymore. Because when his brother, his brother, he found out his brother was, um, his brother was gay and, um, and the person that he was in love with was a gay black man. Mm -hmm. He said, but he didn't want to lose his brother. And for, you know, so for his brother, it was, you can't be around me. You can't have anything to do with my family. If you're participating in this, this, and this. And he said, it took him some, some time, but because him and his brother was close and he saw that his brother's lover was a great person and all this other stuff. It changed his, his thinking. And now he's like the biggest advocator of, of the minority community and the LGBTQ plus community. So for um, people have, if we want change, we all have to start changing ourselves and our perception of others. Me, I don't, Go. I was always taught, go where you're celebrated and not where you're tolerated. So just start being around other people who celebrate you. If you have it, if you feel like, oh, all white people are bad, start finding some good white people to be around 
and start doing little things that you have in common with. And then that change will start to change your perception of not hating all white people, but being able to categorize this person is person. They need a little bit more work. I might've just planted a seed there. Somebody else going to water it. <laughs> right. I know it takes time. It takes time for a plant to grow. But you know, the, my, my favorite thing about what you just said is around personal responsibility. Yes. Because we are responsible for one person and that's ourself. Yes. You can't change this person next to you or across from you, but you can start with you. Yes. And if you rise to the occasion, open your mind, reach your hand across, start to have a dialogue, that can have a ripple effect. That can have a ripple effect. Yes. So when you, when you start with that accountability for your own actions, that's what you can control. Yes. You know, so, so I appreciate so much you saying that I want to transition into a couple of questions that get to, you know, people have learned so much about you, you know, now and what you stand for. So these are just a couple more that I'll throw in kind of shifting away from the, the spicy political topics. Um, so my first question for you is what makes you unbreakable? What makes me unbreakable? Well, I think what makes me unbreakable is, I go back to forgiveness. My model is be a promotion of forgiveness and not the emotion of a traumatic past. So like whenever I write that in short, I just said be a promotion and not the emotion. So I think that it is important that we, you know, like if I'm watching a movie and let's say we see the bad person and we go back. Yeah. And they, and they see, they go back and they play something from their past or how they got there. Then we become more compassionate to that antagonist. And it's like, oh, if somebody would have done this and somebody would have that. And then you see the pattern along the way where other people have contributed to that person being the damaged person that they are. We all play a role with each other. So if yeah. we if we learn to be forgiving and I know that there are some people that like like say, for instance, if a person was a thief, he's not coming out, you know, like we give him second chances. He's not coming out and the government's not going to give him a job working at the bank, but he also has a second chance to do other things. We can allow people to do that. I, I call it, I tell my kids, I put people in boxes. If they violated some area that I know that they're not capable of restraining themselves from violating, then I put them in, you know, hey, I know that I can do this, with this, these type of things with this person, but we can't do these type of things. I know that um, like my mom and I, she's going to talk about every single time you bring up like, oh, mom, I'm hurting. I had a bad day. It's going to become a sermon. So I have to say, mom, I don't need you to be a pastor right now. I need you to be my mom. And then if it's going to go into like something that I know is going to put her in pastor mode, then I change the subject and I, I stay on a level with my mom of things that I know she and I can talk about. We both love music because she's a musician and I and we both like writing songs. So we do those things together. We don't do this over here <laughs> where we know it's going to come right yeah. to our head. <laughs> so. I, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much what makes me unbreakable is I find things that are common between me and people 
And I stay there and I hold that as valuable because I value people. And not so much as I value their opinion. I do value people's opinion in the sense of things that we have in common. If it's something like mm -hmm. some area that they don't have an experience in and they are naysayer, like I have some naysayers mm -hmm. of, you want to run for governor? That's all the way at the top. And, you know, and then what if people do this? What if people say people? I already know that. Everybody knows that anybody running in politics is going to be attacked. They're going to go try and dig something up from your past and make it look, they're going to exaggerate it to make it look worse than what it is. They're going to take, mm -hmm. I know that I don't need this person. So it's like, I know that person is a separate box. I don't talk about certain things with them, but they can help me over here. And yeah. I think that's what makes me unbreakable is that I find the good in people no matter yeah. what. And that common ground. Yeah, that's really powerful. Okay, what about a lighter question of what's something that's on your bucket list? Hmm. Something that is on my bucket list. <laughs> you know, that's funny because I everything I made this vision board and on there is like I want I want to do um I wanted to write a book. So I wrote a book and I published it and then I had, I wanted to buy a house. I bought a house. So I just create these vision boards. And the only one on my bucket list I haven't achieved yet is being on Oprah. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. And that's a great one. There is still time. There is still time. Maybe, and maybe it's when you're, you know, you're running. Yes. Like, hey, <laughs> let me, right. let me, let me, get, let me get that platform right there. I love that. What about a self-limiting belief? What's a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? A self-limiting belief. Um, sometimes I do have that, um, I don't know if you would call it self-rejection, but sometimes where I still feel like I'm not enough. And mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that really never goes away. I think in a, in a sense of like people always think that being courageous is not having doubt, but being courageous is overcoming those doubts. Um, being strong and a hero is still overcoming self-limiting belief or self-rejection things. And sometimes um, there is that, okay, how am, okay, so for where I am is how am I going to become recognizable in this state against other politicians who are already, who have what, 3 million and more in their account to just, they don't have to go out and meet people. They're, they're having to, um, they're having people knock on doors for them. They're paying for TV commercials. I don't have none in that. And so sometimes it's, it's like, how am I going to fight Goliath in, in this situation? Yeah. Like, how am I going to do this? But when I come across those thoughts and thankfully I have people also, like I say, those boxes, the people who are not the naysayers in my life and they all are like, they're with me. I think they just really more take my lead because I say, you know, my biggest uphill battle is recognition right now. And I know I'm going out here and I'm knocking on doors and some days it feels like, feels like pointless. And some days it feels like I'm not making any headway. And then I'll tell them, I said, but it doesn't matter. At least we know we tried. 
I go into like like commander mode of because what we're gonna do is and this is yes. the strategy and so I go into that of I have to fight those not enough or not um good enough moments because mm-hmm. they come with I think they come with any challenge of you stepping out of your comfort zone or you're going into a place that you've never been because now it becomes the unknown. So Mm -hmm. it's the new territory. Yes. That's right. I love that. Well, okay. What about a superpower? What is something that you're really good at that you're proud of? I'm good at, actually, I am a resourceful person. So just like when I was trying to find out how to run for governor and nobody would help me, nobody would tell me, I'm the type of person, I'm going to go look it up. And then I made calls around. Um, There's like a thing called PDC filing that you have to do in order to file Mm -hmm. to be able to fundraise. I was on the phone for like two weeks with the PDC filing and they were so nice. (laughs) They were so nice. They was like, they're like, don't worry like, about it. He is persistent. <laughs> they're like, don't worry about it. That's okay. Call as much as you want. We're here to help. So and and things and make sure you be able to file correctly with IRS and all this other stuff. So I was every single day for two weeks, like literally every single day. I would be on there for like an hour. Then I hang up, do something else. And You're washing up. dishes on the phone, yeah. multitasking on the phone. Yeah. That's perseverance for sure. Yeah, oh my gosh. Cool. What a process. <laughs> what a process. Okay. Elona, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to anybody listening, what would it be? One piece of advice I would give is is, you know, whatever your dream is, don't think that you're not good enough for it. And sometimes even when you're in that stage where you're just struggling to try to find out how to get there and nothing is, whether it's your Google research is not popping up anything or library research or people around you, you don't have access to the people. I find that as long as you keep on going and sometimes if you just do it and A lot of us are afraid to do it because we are afraid of the failure part. But, you know, stop seeing failure as failure because it's not failure unless you give up. But see failure as a small win because you're learning things in that moment. So if there's not a book or something that you found, you'll be able to write that book on how to get to where it is that you tried to get. But don't ever say that you can't or you're not enough. Just do it. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Elona, where can people find you? Where can they continue to follow the journey of your campaign to running for governor, Democratic governor in Washington in 2024? They can find me. It's actually my name. My website is ElonaKearney.com. And I'm the same on Facebook. um, Was it Facebook.com forward slash Elona Kearney. Perfect. And I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can click directly if they want to learn more about you. But I I appreciate you coming on the show and just having so much enthusiasm, positive energy, and a genuineness to make a difference. I'm really excited Thank you. for this journey for you. It's, it's amazing to see it unfold and for you to have this commitment to connect with people um, in such a proactive way before this campaign. 
Yes, thank you. Wow. That was the first time that I've ever really delved into politics on this show. And what was so refreshing about it was it was probably the most bipartisan experience because Ilona comes from a place of a few things. Number one, heart, just as a human being, somebody who has gone through real issues and has worked through those issues very personally um, and now publicly, but has spent so much time not focused on the party politics because she has been on both sides, being a Republican and a Democrat in her lifetime and focuses on the issues and the people. Fancy that, right? That's not generally the place that we start from. If you grow up in a Republican household, the likelihood of you being a Republican is pretty high and vice versa, Democrat or otherwise. And I think it's very important for us to to understand that as she pointed out, the issues that people are talking about are the same ones. They're coming at it from different angles. And when you open yourself up to awareness and understanding and having a conversation, reaching across the aisle, if you will, you can change uh, history. But But it does require individual responsibility and action. One of the things that I enjoyed most about her presence was personal responsibility and the fact that we as individuals can make conscientious choices uh, and have ownership to engage and make a difference. And that is, it's not about finger pointing, right? It's not about finger pointing. So I would invite you as you approach whatever election it is that is coming upon your local government, your local government, try something a little bit different this time. And if you already do this, then kudos to you. Look at the issues, read up on the people, uh, ask questions, learn something new. And, you know, Focus on not the divisiveness and going to the first source of news information, whether that's NBC or CNN or Fox or whatever it is. Do your own independent research. Get out there into the community. You know, and even if you you might be listening and going, Des, I am not one of those people. I'm not a political person. I don't want to be involved in that. Uh, You have to be involved. Doesn't mean you have to do what alone is doing and run for office. And, and, you know, it's a civic responsibility that we have to participate in the world around us. Because one of the things that was so powerful that she talked about is silence. Silence can be construed as agreement not taking action. And that's that's a disservice, right? That's a disservice. Stand up for what you believe in. And at the very least, take a look at the things that you're passion, passionate about and 
go out and contribute to that cause, whatever that may be. If it's homelessness, if it's the, the you know the food shortage, if it's you know insurance, health, mental wellness, any of the things that you look at and you go, you know, I have a strong feeling about this. I want to contribute to making this better. Focus on the action, not just the complaint. It's so easy for us to gravitate. And trust me, I am sitting here guilty as charged. I'm not going to pretend that I don't have my moments where I get on a soapbox and I feel extremely strong about things like racism in our country, veterans' rights, women's rights. But just talking about it doesn't solve the issue. When you can contribute in some way Even if it's small, you're making a contribution. So just think about that. I highly encourage you to check out Ilona's website, ilonakearney.com, to follow her journey and uh, really see the inspiration that she's bringing in the world around her. I think it's, it's awesome. Thank you for being here. Follow and subscribe if you have not already. Leave a comment, rate and review, and remember, you are your only limit, so take action today. Thanks for tuning in.